burned into the psyche of pop culture is the image of an old priest and a young priest as black silhouettes under a single yellowing bulb. The afflicted person, perhaps a young child or a helpless elderly woman, sits quietly in a room with faded peeling wallpaper in a state of apparent convalescence, and they begin to speak in otherworldly voices, ranging from high-pitched screeches to guttural growls. Perhaps they are spouting Latin or cursing in multiple languages. With the words of prayer and scripture and holy water all flung upon the tormented soul, perhaps a cross flies across the room and their body begins to show bruises or wounds or acts of superhuman physical capabilities. And so, perhaps the demons are now cast out and the soul receives its salvation. The story of possession and exorcism continues on for another thousand years, as it has for a thousand years before. But are there angels and devils fighting over the mortal souls of humans? Or are these mentally afflicted people suffering from extreme delusions? This is Encouraging Distraction. I'm your host, Jen, and today, as we cover Irish histories, mysteries, and legends, we're going to discuss the tales of fallen angels and the mythical battle over the scales of good and evil. Where in these tales is the truth, the light, and the way? And how do we move forward in understanding these stories and their impact on our society? Exorcisms can be extremely violent. I have seen objects hurled around rooms by the powers of evil. I have smelt the breath of Satan and heard the demons' voices, cold, scratchy, dead voices carrying messages of hatred. Those are the words of the famous Irish exorcist, priest, and author Malachi Martin. They quickly summarize the nightmarish depiction of exorcism in print and media that has become ever fixed in contemporary minds. Malachi Brendan Martin was born in 1921 and grew up in a large Catholic family of 10 children in Ballylongford, County Kerry. After completing a three-year degree in philosophy at UCD, Martin joined the Jesuit order in 1939. Enamored with paleographic research, he took part in publishing articles on the Dead Sea Scrolls in various journals while traveling across Egypt and the Middle East, where he worked closely with local rabbis. It was during this archaeological research that he was asked to assist in his first exorcism. This experience would shape his career permanently and become what he would be most known for. Unhappy with the changes of Vatican II, Martin left Rome and moved to New York after he received a dispensation from his vows of poverty and obedience on the 30th of June, 1965. There are some claims that he was dispensed from his vows of chastity, but he states that he remained under the obligation. 
Martin also claimed that he left the order because he believed that powerful members of the Roman Catholic Church had involvement with demons and Satanism, which led to the reform abandoning the three secrets of Fatima. Martin continued to perform exorcisms after moving to New York City. He would go on to write and speak publicly on the matters of demonic possession, the corruption he personally perceived in the Vatican, and the secrets of Fatima. He appeared on radio shows such as Coast to Coast, Local Access Television, and news interviews, published articles, wrote novels, and recorded hours of his thoughts on these matters of faith. Malachi Martin had his critics both outside and in the church. Former Vatican correspondent and Jesuit priest Kaiser accused Martin of being a womanizing charlatan, claiming that the renowned exorcist had carried out an extramarital affair with his wife in 1964 while the three of them were residing in Rome. Some Catholic websites and magazines would go on to claim that Malachi Martin was secretly of Jewish descent and also an Israeli spy, as he had once worked as a translator for the Orthodox Churches and Ancient Oriental Churches Division of the Secretariat for Promoting Christian Unity under Cardinal B and became well acquainted with prominent Jewish leaders in 1961 and in 1962. William Peter Blady, the author of the Exorcist novel and screenplay, accused Martin's novel, Hostage to the Devil, of being a cheap ripoff that took advantage of the media wave Blady's work had started. He gave Hostage to the Devil a scathing review. I loathe this book. Blady wrote, it gives possession a bad name. He would go on to deny that Martin was even an inspiration for his famous novel, despite some marked similarities between the character of Father Marin, as it was unorthodox to see a Jesuit priest in that role of both an archaeologist in Egypt and the Middle East, as well as a veteran exorcist. Despite his critics and doubters, Malachi Martin never hesitated to speak on his beliefs. He claimed to be able to see demons surrounding immoral people and to have seen the devil in his own apartment. He spoke in depth on being able to see the spirit plane. He claimed that he carried out thousands of minor exorcisms and assisted in hundreds of major exorcisms during his lifetime. I was standing on a stool in my apartment, reaching for a book, and I saw him, Martin once claimed. He was crouched on the floor, looking at me. His body was like a muscular pit bull terrier, but the face was recognizably human. It was the devil's face. I recognized the eyes. They were eyes of the coldest, deadliest hatred. When the devil sprang at me, I fell from my stool and broke my shoulder. But I felt fortunate. I had seen Satan, and I had lived. Martin would eventually die 
of a hemorrhagic stroke caused by a fall from his stool in July of 1999 that some believe to have been caused by demonic forces and others believed that he was murdered for revealing closely guarded Vatican secrets. Dr. Richard Gallagher is a psychiatric consultant best known for his assistance in identifying demonic possessions. For the past 25 years, he has helped clergy distinguish between mental illness and what he believes are true cases of demonic possession. He grew up a devout Catholic in a large Irish-American family. Gallagher received his education at Regis, Princeton, and Yale, and continues to work as a psychiatrist in Westchester County, New York. Dr. Gallagher has been brought in to evaluate and advise on thousands of possible cases of possession by a network of exorcists across the United States. Working as a part of a support team of religious leaders and various health professionals, he believes that he has identified over a hundred true cases of possession. Dr. Gallagher is known to speak on the topic as well as be present at the exorcisms. Most famously, he was present for Julia's alleged demonic possession. It was the most amazing case I had ever been involved in or heard of in the modern era. Gallagher would go on to say. Julia was willing to talk with me and gave me permission to write her story. A dark queen of a satanic cult referred to as Julia wore dark flowing clothes and deep smoky black eye makeup. The middle-aged woman approached her local priest and convinced him that she was being attacked by a demon that she claimed she invited into her soul for power and favors. The priest referred her to an exorcist who reached out to Dr. Gallagher for a mental health evaluation. Her voice, ranging from the guttural to high-pitched, expressed hatred for anything religious. Growls came from deep within her. Sometimes religious objects flew off the shelves and Julia knew information she had never been told, such as the fact that Dr. Gallagher's mother had died from ovarian cancer. She also asked him how he had liked the cats. After the night before, the family's two pet cats flew in a deranged late-night frenzy. She would snarl Leave her alone, you idiot. She's ours. Leave, you imbecile priest. Dr. Gallagher would go on to claim that at one point, the voices spoke in foreign languages, including recognizable Latin and Spanish, while Julia herself only spoke English as she later verified to us. The voices were noticeably attacking in nature and often insolent blasphemous and highly scatological. They cursed and insulted the participants in the crudest way. They were frequently threatening, 
trying. It appeared to fight back. Leave her alone. You'll be sorry. And the like. Julia also exhibited enormous strength, Gallagher said. Despite the religious sisters and three others holding her down with all of their might, they struggled to restrain her. And remarkably, for about 30 minutes, she actually levitated about half a foot in the air. In the end, Dr. Gallagher and a team of others would perform eight exorcisms on Julia to no avail. True possession can sometimes be taken care of in one exorcism, but other times it can take years. Gallagher remarked on the experience, it can depend on the willingness of the victim to help themselves. The exorcism makes the demonic hold on the person weaker, but the person's response also influences the outcome. Even though Julia and the team believed that she was still possessed, she quit after the eighth session, as it was evident she enjoyed some of the powers she had. A year after Julia had dropped out, she called Dr. Gallagher and asked him to intervene once more with the exorcist so that she could resume. Why do you want to come back? Gallagher wanted to know. Julia told him that she was dying of cancer. But I told her, he continued, I would need to talk with her oncologist, as well as the priest exorcist, and get the state of her health and diagnosis. But we never heard from her again. Never knowing what befell Julia, Dr. Gallagher and the team assumed that she had passed from her illness. Dr. Gallagher has recently announced a new novel, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal, which will be released October 6, 2020. The recounts will detail more stories on his experience with exorcisms, the occult, and more on Julia's story. The Catholic Church requires that each diocese in the country have a trained exorcist who conducts assessments and interviews to determine the difference between psychological illness and what they'd consider to be actual demonic possession. Father Patrick Collins, a local Irish exorcist, claims that the demand has risen exponentially in recent years and has said that he is baffled that there are not more Catholic exorcists in training. What I'm finding out, desperately, is people who, in their own minds, believe, rightly or wrongly, that they're afflicted by an evil spirit. There has been increasing evidence of the malicious activity of the evil one. He continued to state that he believes that anyone who doesn't see the need for more exorcists in Ireland is out of touch with reality. In Father Collins's writing, he insists on concentrating on the positive, on kind, little acts of mercy, and helping others. He believes that these are, in the end, the greatest tools in fighting against the evil that haunts the world in all of its strange forms. He believes these forms to be persistent suicidal thoughts, despair, addiction, mental illness, and depression. Usually. The priest would deal with the problems of evil by saying a prayer, 
they would bless the house and bless the victim with holy water, according to the Irish experts in the field of exorcism. Cases of complete possession by the devil and the dramatics usually displayed in television are exceedingly rare, according to these experts. I think it's also important to look into the history of seances and spiritualists and mediums when examining exorcists and cases of possession. In the past, you had illusionists disproving these cases of ghostly and otherworldly encounters, such as levitating, shaking furniture, as strings tied to objects in the room, and vibrations caused by many hands on a table, which would recreate that phenomenon of objects flying and furniture moving. I think it's especially important to examine mediums when it comes to the trait of a possessed person knowing secret details of the exorcist's life, such as the cat incident and the cancer incident and Julia's story of possession, and that Dr. Gallagher could have been covered in scratches and cat hair, and she could have picked up on that and then claimed to have done that to him. She could have overheard him talking about a mother or picked up something from his person or his traits, which many people do naturally, and use that to frighten him, to get attention. As a disclaimer, I don't personally believe in conventional good and evil, as that has constantly been redefined over the eons by different customs and religions. So what the Romans and the Greeks and the Mesopotamians may have believed over the years, that's massively different to what we may think is right or wrong in today's society. There are even differences in definition in modern Christianity, which is dependent on which sect that you are in. What is considered good and right or evil and wrong is dependent on what you're looking at. I know some religions believe that to be good, you must be chaste and quiet and subservient to others, while others would say that as long as you're not hurting anyone else, whatever you do is fine. What is interesting to observe, though, is that no one can prove without a shadow of a doubt that the devil is real or not in any religion can find themselves afflicted with possession. But it is important to note that it only affects people who believe that they can be possessed, either occultists or Christians. So if you believe that you can be affected, it really just proves that if you give power or strength to a thought, it gives it power over you and your thoughts. There's so much about the human subconscious mind 
we don't fully give credit to the power of our own brains. I enjoy hearing your feedback, any additions you may have, any additional sources or comments, or even your personal anecdotes. If you'd like to correct any fact or pronunciation, you can reach me on Facebook. If you have anything you would like to add or would like to fall down the rabbit hole of research yourself, please do check out the Patreon page for show notes which will be set to public for anyone who wants to research this for themselves. You can like and follow Encouraging Distraction on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, where I will share articles, updates, videos, live streams, and more. I would like to say a thank you to our healthcare workers and essential workers risking their health in these very difficult times. I would also like to thank you listeners for having an open mind and stopping in for a moment to hear a story about the very strange tales of Irish exorcists who cast the devil out. See you next time.